Hello, DanceWell listeners. This is Ellie Kushner. And for this episode, I spoke to Gayanne Grossman about her catchphrase, which I think should be plastered on dance studio walls everywhere, which is dance with the body that you have. And because we're both also passionate about our work as kinesiology teachers, we also spent a lot of this conversation thinking critically about how our course content, the work that we do, should and shouldn't be applied in the dance studio. Gayanne is a PT and a dancer with over 30 years of performing arts medicine experience. She's the director of Dance Wellness, resident physical therapist and part-time faculty for Muhlenberg College Department of Theater and Dance. She holds a BFA in dance and a BS in physical therapy from the University of Utah and an EDM in dance education from Temple University where she conducted PhD studies. She is the author of the textbook, Dance Science, Anatomy, Movement Analysis, and Conditioning, and Editor-in-Chief of the IADAMS Bulletin for Dancers and Teachers. She's published original peer-reviewed research in dance medicine, is the author of the HIP chapter for the American Physical Therapy Association monograph on dance medicine, and a chapter on career transitions for the National Dance Association. She's given lectures, scientific presentations, grand rounds, and movement-based workshops in the United States, Europe, Australia, Hong Kong, and Singapore. She chaired a day for teachers for I. Adams in 2015. She also chaired the dance stream of the certification course in performing arts medicine for the Performing Arts Medical Association, PAMA, in 2018. Gayanne is serving her fifth term on the board of directors for the International Association for Dance Medicine and Science and previously served the American Physical Therapy Association, that's APTA, Performing Arts Special Interest Group. She also served the APTA as a contact expert for the Performing Arts Practice Analysis and as the chair of the nominating committee. Gayanne received a presidential award for the keynote speech at the Dance National Dance Association, NDA, annual conference in 2012. She was awarded fellowship status by the Adams for excellence in research and contributions to the field in 2014. In 2018, the National Dance Society presented Gayanne with the Advocate Award Honoree for advocacy in the dance field. Her professional experience includes physical therapy services for the Pennsylvania Ballet, the University of Utah Departments of Ballet and Modern Dance, Muhlenberg College Department of Theater and Dance, Temple University Department of Dance, and the Princeton Ballet School. In addition to anatomy and kinesiology, her teaching experience includes modern dance technique for the University of Utah Department of Continuing Education, dance conditioning for universities, colleges, and private studios. In summary, she has devoted her professional life to the health and wellness needs of performing artists, and I am so grateful that she took the time to speak with me for this conversation. And before we move forward, there's one last thing I want to tell you, which is that this interview was recorded at Ripley Greer Studios, which is um, just south of Times Square in Manhattan. It's a bustling hub of activity for theater and dance, and you will be hearing a bit of the Atlantic Theater Company and their miraculous skills for vocal projection during times in this interview. I hope uh, it's not a 
distraction. I hope instead it's a bit inspiring and amusing as we talk dance and kinesiology. So now here we go with episode 51, Dance with the Body That You Have, Bringing Kinesiology Into the Studio. Buckle your seatbelts. On this episode, nutrition, life coach, dance and performance, psychological training. And today you are in for Hi. Hello. This is Ellie Kushner. And this is Marissa Schaefer from Dance World Podcast. Dance World Podcast. Dan, thank you so much for being here. Um, we're titling this Dance with the Body That You Have, which is an expression that I stole from you. Um, and you told me, you know, after teaching as long as you have, you got to have phrases, you have catchphrases, and this is one of yours. So how did you develop this catchphrase? Where did it come from? Why do you need it? This catchphrase of dance with the body that you have. Well, I don't remember the exact moment I thought of that one. Some of them I do, but that one I don't. But I know that over the years I teach, what I teach in Kinney's classes is I teach the students not just their muscles, but also their joint structure. And joint structures are highly variable. So your right hip and your left hip might be different, your right knee and right foot. Your right hip and my right hip are different. Everybody's structure is different, how much you hyperextend, all that. So all of that yields a body that makes dance positions or dance motions. And all of that's different. All the professionals are different too. Everyone's different. So you can't pick an ideal and say, I'm going to fit into this box because no one does. Or maybe a few people do, but most people don't. Even professionals. So at the end of the day, the, the way to be free to move is to not be bogged down by how you think you ought to be moving. Right. The way to be free to move is to move. So to dance, to feel the music, to dance, not to have some idea in your head that you're going to be like golf where you want to hit the ball a certain distance because dancing isn't any of that. Right. So I tell my students all the time, I'm not teaching you to dance in Kenny's classes. I'm teaching you to tune your guitar, but you're going to make the music. There's another little saying I like. So, but that one, dance with the body that you have, all bodies are different, and that's what I teach them. I teach them to look at bodies. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. people will text me after and say, oh my God, I can never see dance the same way. And some people like that, and some people say, you've ruined dance for me forever. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it liberates us to not get bogged down in things we can't change, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's so challenging, though, isn't it? Because like, very few people are going to have a functional 180-degree turnout, right? But also, most people aren't working to their maximal capacity of turnout either, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So that fine line between acknowledging that you don't have 180 degrees of turnout, but also figuring out how to maximize what you do have and sort of pursue excellence or however you want to phrase it, you know, that constant fine-tuning that is the craft of the art of dance it's sort of a psychological puzzle in some ways because you're sort of saying you don't want people to get too much in their head. You know, it's but they have to to figure out where the rotators are. It's absolutely psychological because yeah. I don't know how many people's turnout I've measured over the years, but when I started to do turnout measurement, the reason I started to do it in the first place was because hips, and this is well documented in the literature, even in, uh, and especially amongst the professionals because this has been widely studied now for many years, Hip rotation on average is 45 to 55 degrees, maybe 60. Each leg. Yeah, yeah, each leg. Yeah. So, where's the rest of it coming from? 
Right. And if it's 45, what, why are we aiming for 180? Where is that coming from? So that yielded the whole tibial torsion MRI studies and all of that. But moreover, it's all different. Everyone's different. So what we want to do is we want to maximize what we have, but not be bogged down by what we have or don't have. Because again, dance is not numbers. It's mm -hmm. not degrees. And it takes people like us to measure the degrees anyway. Right. <laughs> you know? right. We're teaching other people to do it. When you go see a dance performance, no one's measuring their turnout. Yes. They're looking yes. at every single yes. other capacity. Yes. So at the end of the day, what the reason you want to use what you have is so you can feel end range, which is how far the joints will go. Yeah. You know, to whatever degree. I mean there's different kinds of end range, but it's hard to get end range strength because of the length tension curve, right? You right. people, um, you know, people muscles are strongest in their mid range and weakest if they're, you know, short when they're too short or too long. So you have to train for that anyway. Bigger muscles tend to dominate smaller muscles, so finding your little deep rotators is harder to do than than using your gluteus maximus and all that. Um, but but still, if you can find that and then that becomes part of your motor habits, you don't have to think about that anymore. Right, right, exactly. And that's something I find students need a lot of coaching in. I, when I first started teaching kinesiology, students, I'd say, well, how are you gonna address this hyperpronation in your foot? And they'd say, well, I need to think about it more when I'm in class. Mm -hmm. And I'd say, um, when you're in dance class, do you feel like you have like a lot of extra mental space for thinking about things? <laughs> and they say, no, and I'm like, right, you can't fix this by thinking about this when you dance. When you dance, you need to think about soaring through the air and moving to music. You need to train this before, after, in between classes so that it becomes automatized. And that's like a really hard concept for students to understand that idea of automizing certain habits. Right. Right. Um, so we just talked about turnout as one issue, where else do you see this sort of need for training dancers to dance with the body that they have? Well, arabesque is a perfect example. Yes. So, okay, so with arabesque, if you look at, if you look at hips in general, I, I'm using arabesque because you can see it and it's easy to explain, right. but it, it applies it to so instant many image. things. Yep. Yep. So hips extend to 10 to maybe 15 or 20 degrees. So that's before your foot leaves the floor and taunt. Right. Okay, so now the, the ideal, if you will, I'm just going to make up an ideal, they're probably different ideals, but yeah. a 90 degree right. gesture leg, a totally turned out standing leg, and your back straight up and down, shoulders forward, ASIS, both, you know, headlights straight forward. Right, right. Bodies don't actually do that, you see. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maybe a couple, but if you, you know, Google image or, you know, all these beautiful dancers in their arabesque, you're going to see a high, high degree of variation of how they accomplish that. Yes. So, I like that as an, as an example, and of course there's millions of dance motions, so, but that's just easy to imagine. Right. So. If your hip extends to 10 or 20, let's say it's even 20 degrees, when you want your foot off the ground, where does it come from? Right, because by the time you've just brushed your foot to the back in a, let's say, classical ballet tendu, 
that's already it's done. Twenty degrees of hip. That's as much as your hip can do. Maxed out. Right. Right. So, and the wide ligament restricts hip ro hip lateral rotation, so turnout and right. extension. So, if you're maxing out your extension, potentially you're even limiting some of your lateral rotation. Right. right. It's already starting to turn in a little bit. Done. Right. So <laughs> now you want. <laughs> so now you want your leg to ninety with the knee facing the audience. Okay. Which is another you know ninety degree angle, if you will, from parallel. So. How are you going to get there? Okay, so you you can you're now and just back to the hip. So the hip itself, half the hip is your pelvis, right? The acetabulum, right. and the other half is the head of the femur. So your pelvis is two halves, but the halves don't move, you know, fifty five or ninety degrees from one another. Right. So the right half, if your right leg is up, is moving your left half. Uh huh. Which is the other half of that pelvis is your other hip. Right. Right? Does that make sense? Yes. What I'm yes. So you move your right anominate, your left anominate is going to move also, right. which means that it's rotating on your left femur head. Correct. Right. Your standing leg. Right. Right. Okay. So you lift your leg up. You're, now we're back to the gesture leg. Let's pretend, just pretend we haven't altered the standing leg. We have, but we'll okay. get to that in a minute. Does this all make sense? Yes. Okay. So you start to lift your leg up. So then you have a choice now. You can do back up. Mm -hmm. or leg up or you right. can tip forward like the ducky mm -hmm. image in the pond right so what people do what people the ideal is back up shoulders forward both ASIS forward but again if you only have say 40 or 50 degrees of lateral rotation in your hip that means your knee is going to be facing a little bit down right, right. it's not going to be facing the audience right so how do we accomplish that we have to rotate the pelvis which is the standing leg hip Mm -hmm. coming a little bit forward and we have and most there's lots of lumbar hyperextension mm -hmm. but there's almost no lumbar rotation right maybe five degrees right so the most of the lumbar hyperextension is l5s1 so right where it meets your sacrum mm -hmm. and there's a tiny little bit of sacrum sacral mm -hmm. motion on mm -hmm. your ilium but not a lot so you're not getting a lot so the sacrum and the pelvis and all that you can they're not moving exactly together but they're not getting your 90 degrees right okay so you're going to extend through your back Right? So you're going to extend through your back. Gayanne and I are both sitting here extending our We're back. practicing <laughs> doing it because we can't think without moving. <laughs> the dancers as we are. And so you're going to extend through your back and then you're, you're going to lift your leg and what's going to happen is you're going to hyperextend your lumbar spine mm -hmm. and that doesn't really rotate so you're going to have to either counter rotate mm -hmm. your left shoulder forward or sorry right shoulder forward the mm -hmm. gesture leg shoulder forward depending on what what you want to do or rotate the right shoulder back with the leg right. so if you take the right shoulder back with the leg then you get all this rotation in your thoracic spine which does rotate but it can't hyperextend as much as your lumbar spine because the spinous processes are all pointing down, so that's going to hyperextend only to about flat. So the only way to get your knee forward is to let that pelvis go. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The, the gesture leg the pelvis, pelvis open. open. Yeah. And what that's going to do is pull your standing leg more forward, so mm -hmm. the knee is facing forward. And you see that a lot when you look at arabesque, even amongst professionals. The standing right. leg is parallel or close to parallel. And depending on how high you want the leg to be, if you have, say you want a really high arabesque, 
then again, your 10 to 20 degrees hip extension, so you're getting that by maybe even so much opening the pelvis that you're getting a side bend. Right, right. You're Plus, almost starting to become like a Horton tilt or something. Right, it's like, almost a second. Yeah, it's right. like a... It's like a sabbatical, we call that. Uh, oh, right, exactly. <laughs> and that's why you have to do that. And again, that's going to pull the standing leg forward. Yeah. So if you look at, and I do this with my students a lot, and I've given talks about this a lot, if you, do, if you look at different people accomplishing arabesque, some people can maintain the turnout on the standing leg to some degree, mm -hmm. but some people can't. It depends on how much, probably how much rotation they have right where their lumbar spine meets their thoracic spine in part, so right. that they can keep that pelvis. Or firm. how much rotation they have available from their knee and ankle. May, yeah, maybe if they're pronating a little yeah. bit, but if the knee is locked, potentially, uh -huh. wouldn't, they wouldn't be gaining okay. very much there, uh -huh. but they might if they were in plie. Right. Yeah, right. if they're in plie, they could change that. So all of these things are vary yeah. highly from the most expert um, professional to novice, because right. everybody's body's different. So back to you have to dance with the body that you have and all these little variations like if you look at all these people dancing in these beautiful um, positions you know these beautiful leaps if you mm -hmm, just look mm -hmm. at Ellie and I are looking at a professional company leaping yep. and they're all slightly different they all yep. have slightly different amounts of stretch different amounts of point in their foot, different amount of knee extension, mm -hmm. different shoulder amount of extension, everything's yeah. right. different, but what you see is the passion, and right. what you see is the dance, and that's why I want people not to be bogged down by all this yeah. minutia of measuring, because it takes people people who are sort of OCD about the measuring yeah. to measure. Right, right, and dancers we know are a high-striving, perfectionistic-prone mm -hmm. population, do you think, I'm going a little off script here, but do you think that we have almost done dancers a disservice by offering anatomical information? I mean, our hearts are in the right place. I mean, you and I both teach this stuff. So we want dancers to learn about where their deep rotators are, and we want them to know this stuff because we believe it will help them dance better, healthier, longer. And I think we are seeing that play out, right? Like, there are dancers now who dance much longer than even mm -hmm. just 15 Absolutely. years ago. You know, Absolutely. there's been a huge upswing. So, but on the other hand, I do worry about this sort of paralysis by analysis that can happen when people phrase. start to get yeah. this information, right? So how do you, again, I'm throwing you a curveball here, but as a practitioner, how, or a teacher, how do you find that balance? Like, how do you teach your students to take in this information but not get bogged down by it? Well, I have two thoughts on that. Yeah. Probably two million, but two <laughs> for today. One is, um, I think, I, one is teach them to feel what feels good. Yes. And I'll elaborate on that in yep. a second. And the other is, I think if people knew what they have, yeah. What their bodies can do. Yeah. In terms of just the arthrokinematics, what your bone structure allows. Because muscles can be adapted. What you're not really changing is bone right. and joint shape. So if you if you train them or teach them, the teachers and the students and the healthcare practitioners, mm -hmm. what their how their body can um, accomplish 
um, to, to, to their own best dance ideals. Right. Then they, they will know that and they won't spend five or ten years or longer or hurt themselves trying to do something they can't actually do. Right. Right? So know what, you can, what your body can do and what your body can't do. So I do think that that's useful. I, I, think, I think we get stuck on that and don't mm-hmm. move forward from that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the moving forward from that with my students and my patients and all of them is I, I help them, you know, I measure everything because that's what I do. <laughs> right. And then I assess their dancing and then I have them do something. And then I say, do this, do that, or, you know, I facilitate this muscle or that muscle or I release this or I release that or whatever it is and get them so that they can do it. Mm-hmm. And then when they do it, it feels good. Right. And then they go, oh, so you can't see me, but I'm like sitting straight and smiling and raising my eyebrows. And I always tell them, when you make that face, I know you're happy. Yeah. And then, and then you don't have to ever say anything again because everybody wants to feel good. Yeah. They want dance to feel good. Right. So I think there's use in that. And if they can master that and take that the next step, and that's the next step is using this as a baseline, yep. not the end game. Yeah. Does that yeah. make sense? No, it does. You know, I was just last night, I was just teaching a sort of adult ballet class for intermediate dancers. And I found it very helpful to just go up to people sometimes and, for example, touch their mid back and say, How does this area feel? You know, do mm-hmm. that fondue to the side that you were just doing. How does this part of your back feel? And they say, oh, not crowded, stiff, not good. You know, like, okay, so then then let's just, let's try to figure out how to make that feel good. And not not put this here or put that there, bend Mm -hmm. this that way. I think the neuroscience on all of that is really interesting because, because the, um, the, there's a, Feed forward system, right? That that incorporates your um, your frontal lobe all the way through your cerebellum and yep. your limbic system, and it lets you um, move how you feel and feel how you move. Yeah. So all the imagery and all of that has really. Um, uh, I don't know if this is a fair thing to say, but I think we can say it's been proven by science now. Yeah. And so it, it lets people not be bogged down in numbers and, you know, muscle attachments and, you know, all, all the things that we love. But right. But are, you know, again, not dancing. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, think that that's a, I think that's a wonderful thing to do, and I think it helps. And I think even in PT clinics... You know, I think that people are starting to do more of that, even you know, even in like the medical world. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, um, so, what are the what are the risks in this? Um, like, what type of injuries in particular do you see arising from dancers not dancing with the body they have, but trying to achieve this ideal of say 180 degrees turnout or the arabesque with the perfect 90 degree angle at the back? Mm-hmm. What What are the injuries that you see arising from that? Um, you know, this is, I've been doing this for a long time, right? So since the 80s, and I started dancing when I was six. So I, I don't know that I, this is necessarily more um, severe, but I think it's more frequent. Uh-huh. If Back to if people knew what their bodies could do. Yeah. And I think this would be a, this, this would be good, a good focus, I think, for, for maybe even some research. But if people knew what their bodies could do and did that, mm-hmm. then they could dance as well as their body can in terms of just the, 
the accomplishments, yes, yeah. mechanics. Um, and then they could they could master that, and then they could then think about dance Juliet or <laughs> yes. yeah, getting yeah. in touch with the spirits or whatever is Mind, necessary body, for their soul, work. Right? Yeah. right. So they could do that. When that doesn't happen, so say you're not say you are using the right amount of turnout, but you're not controlling it, or say you're um, bending your knee slightly so you can rotate your tibia more laterally so it looks like you have more turnout or let's just say you have a muscle imbalance or your IT bands too tight or just whatever uh, you know a litany of things could cause you to not or you're tired or you right. didn't eat well yesterday or you're distracted because something happened or just for whatever reason um, what happens then is the body isn't in its organic position Mm -hmm. So, um, just back to since we're using the hip, the head of the femur is not where it needs to be in the acetabulum. You're, say you're, you're in a little bit of anterior tilt, the muscles in the back are too tight, so you go to lift your leg and you get pinched in the front, or you arch too much because you're already in anterior tilt. So the kind of injuries that you see are a litany of hip injuries, including mm -hmm. labral tears. Um, I, you know, I, I see in a number of younger than college students now and you know spondylolisthesis yeah. and you know, just too much hyperextension and I we there are things that our bodies can do right. but we as dancers think our bodies everybody can do everything yeah to its to the maximum amount like we think we can touch our heads to our feet and roll if around. we only try hard enough if we it's only just try. a matter of just trying keep hard enough doing it. Yeah. yes so another thing I do with my classes is I, I have a, um, a slide, and I do this with them anyway, um, of these um, these people that are laying on their belly and they're pulling their feet oh, over yeah, their yeah. head. Right, right. And, I'm, and the question is, what are you stretching? Right. Like, what's the purpose of this? Right. So, you know, it's like a test question, but I don't really test them on it. And, and so is it the hip? Well, the hip only goes to 10 or 20 degrees, so you're already maxed out there. Is right. it your quads? Maybe. Is it your back? I don't know. You can't possibly your engage. Stomach? I don't know. You can't possibly <laughs> engage your stomach in that position because right. it's already at maximal end range and it's passive, right? right. So you can't, you know. Right. No, I mean maybe you're stretching your stomach. Are you stretching? It looks good. <laughs> you know, it looks. It looks. I don't know. Good isn't the right word, but it looks impressive. Yes. Thank you. It's gonna get you a lot of Instagram so, clicks. So the question is, if you want to stretch your hip, is there a better way to do it? Right. <laughs> that doesn't hurt you. If you want to stretch your, and how much do you want to stretch your hip? Like how exactly. much do you need? If you want to stretch your quads. How much do you need? Yeah. If you do want to stretch your back into hyperextension, is there a safer way to do that? Yeah. You know, like just ask and answer the questions critically. Use the science of motion to make good choices. Yes. Master that and then dance. Yes. I think another question that I include in that too is, what are you going to use that for? So like, right. for example, the over splits, you know, mm -hmm. where the student puts their heel up on a chair and then splits so that they are beyond 180 degrees um, in, a, in a split. I always say, who's gonna pay you to do that? Right. You know, you. I guess in the competition world, there is this desire for these hyper extensive um, jetés, but they don't act, they only, if, well, some people do end up in that circuit and can get paid in that circuit, but mostly mm -hmm. like once, you know, once you've graduated from high school, that's the end of that line, right? Mm -hmm. um, Cirque du Soleil, you know, or other circus acrobatic sorts of work would ask you to do that. So then you have to ask yourself, like, is is that the work 
you're aiming to do. You know, I think, I, I've written this down, and, and I think when we talk about how, how what needs to happen, yeah. I think what needs to happen is that the science of movement and the training of dance and the dancing from all disciplines needs to be linked together in a more holistic and complete way. Yeah, how do, you, how do you, yeah, totally, it makes sense. How do you, for, like, what would a model of that look like? Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I think, I think that part of the disconnect, there's a lot of disconnects, I think, and just having been like bridging two worlds like we do, right. um, you, you see these, dis or feel these disconnects as the years go by. Um, part of the disconnect is dance training, um, it, it, part of dance training is training one to dance right. as an active um, thing musicality, artistry, all of that. Um, but part of it is accomplishing the feet. So the feet of these, you know, some F -E -A -T, of them... F-E-A-T, yes. not the F-E-A-T. Feet too. <laughs> we can talk about feet in a minute with formation and not. But, um, but part, of the, part of the feet of dancing is just mastering your body so that you don't have to worry about it. Like you can't... Yeah. This is another thing I, I like to use as an analogy. You can't make music unless you know notes and chords and your guitar is tuned, right? So all that ha kind of has to happen. Yeah. But then music is way separate than having a tuned guitar. Yeah. So dance is the same way. So, right. so that whole thing, that ties the dancing to the scientists, the researchers, and then on the healthcare end, you know, the, the practitioners can tell you if your ankle is sprained and if you're, you know, wobbly or your ACL is torn. They can tell you all that and you can get some basic, you know, normal PT kind of stuff, but tying that to yeah. not just the feet of dancing, but somehow getting the, yeah. the act of dancing tied to that in some way does happen sometimes, but doesn't happen mm -hmm. sometimes. Mm -hmm. And then the science is in the middle of that. So I, I yeah. think where we, where we, I wish we could progress the science and why I think sports um, par practitioners or sports participants um, get more from their sports science than we, than sometimes the dancers get from the dance science is the sports science um, scientists, many of them played sports. Mm -hmm. And you know, study how to make you hit the ball faster, shoot your hockey mm -hmm. puck harder. How, if you do X, Y, and Z, you're going to run, you know, 0.25 seconds mm -hmm. faster. So people say, I'm going to do that because right. I want to run 0.25 right. seconds faster, not because I don't want to rupture my Achilles tendon. Right. Right. So I wrote a paper about this a long time ago, advocating for dance science education, and what I said, and it was exactly that. We, we need more. I, I strongly encourage all the researchers or anyone who wants to do research to start studying performance enhancement. Mm -hmm. Like what will make people dance better? Right. Because right. the better you dance hypothetically, yeah. we ha I don't know that we have hardcore science on this yet, the less injured one should be. Although there are two, I have two dilemmas with that. And one is performance enhancement in dance is always going to be limited because it is an art and it's right. not a sport. You're right. And it is subjective and it's not 
It's not objective. I agree. And so it's a problem. It's really it it's is a, problem a problem to have an answer to your exactly. question. Is what I'm saying. Exactly. Yes. Right. It's not a problem. It is the situation, but it's a difficult issue because performance enhancement is not absolute in dance. It has as much to do with each individual sitting in the chair of the audience as it does each human spirit on the stage, you know? So it really, we're, we need to be, I think, cautious about leaning, like we need to use that, but not lean too heavily. And I think we need to also talk to dancers about, this will make your life better. <laughs> like mm -hmm. it will improve your performance and it will make you feel better. Right. You won't wake up feeling drained and exhausted. You won't feel overtired. You won't feel, you know, that you can't communicate or advocate for yourself with your director or, you know, th these are tools that will enhance your life, not just enhance your performance. Well, it'll give them freedom yeah. because like, again, back to pick, you know, if you look at um, like pictures of say professionals doing things that are similar and you, and you notice that their expression yeah. is all different. Right, right, right. That means that not only are they expressing it differently. Yep. They're they're not worrying about if every single you know position is exactly the same because their yep. expression is different. But their choreographer and their director and their audiences and just the whole world around them loves that passion that is individual amongst each dancer. Yeah. So yep. you know they're you know just trying to keep this all tied together. They're yep. dancing with the bodies that they've had. They've mastered that. They've let go of that. They've moved on to this. So is there an answer to this? Uh, you know, I don't know. It's probably back to exactly what you said. Is the science bogging us down? Mm -hmm. and, you know, I, I, my thing about science is I love to ask and answer questions. Yeah. I just right. find it fascinating. And, and that's so the core I've of science. Always, yeah, yeah. I've always been, once I learned about science, I was like, you know, this is the world for me. Very cool thing. Yeah, I mean, I like dancing too, and I didn't, you know, never really sort of figured out this was going to be my trajectory. But you know, I but I I like that also. Yeah. And so I think there is use for it, but yeah. I think it maybe maybe if we could understand it better, then we could all adopt it, and then we could be more free to do the other things. Yeah. Because I think there's a lot of variation in understanding. There's a huge yeah. amount of variation, as you and I have spoken many times, in how kinesiology is taught. Right. There's a huge amount of variation in even you know opinions, which is fine because that builds a more deep and rich whole. But our particular and whole, you know, W H O L E whole, our <laughs> particular whole is under development, right? We're working on it day after day after day, right. and and we're you know we've come a long way. Yeah, I don't know that talking to students too much about, and I I'm at fault of this, you know, the mechanics of their body when they're dancing. I don't know how useful that is. I know there's a lot of discussion about that yeah. amongst the kinese teachers and the dance yeah. teachers, and I and and probably there's a lot of discussion because there isn't an actual right no. or wrong answer, yeah. and probably every student is different. Totally, that's mm -hmm. that's very true. Mm -hmm. that's when very, I took yeah. when I I was a dance major at the University of Utah. And it was, you know, a wonderful program is still, the teachers were amazing, and then Sally Fit was the case teacher. Yeah. So so once I took anatomy and I started to take all that and listen to them, I just started to go, oh, that could be this, and this could be this, and that could be that. But that was me, right? Right, right. So other students, you know, became whatever they became in dance, and they hear that in a different way. So as you know, yeah. as a teacher, you have to 
you have to be very open-minded mm-hmm. to hearing what your colleagues are saying and yep. hearing what your students are feeling, what your Reacting students are... To yeah, and, yep. right, like the, yep. like the sayings. If I say something and people go, oh, then yep. I go, oh, why are they thinking that? Yep. Like the first time I said you can't stand on two legs, if you can't stand on two legs, you can't stand on one. First time I said that, um, I was talking to a group of people and they reacted to that and yep. I thought, interesting that's interesting because that's a basic thing and it's again back to just progression like normal progression you yeah. know can you stand on two legs can you weight shift from one leg to the other can you stand on one leg yeah because if you can't do that everything else is flawed. right don't progress right yeah, everything after that's going to everything's harder so everything's going to be flawed to some degree more and more and more exactly turnouts harder than parallel you know well for some people yeah and you know so you know, it's just, you know, can you tondy back without changing your standing leg? At what point does it change? Why does it change? How do you lift through that? If people can master all that, they can stop thinking about all of that. I yeah. think. Yeah. Right? I'm pretty sure that, you know, people who are really in the moment, who are in flow, the psychological mm-hmm, term, mm-hmm. are not thinking, no. lift my leg, point my foot, tuck here, lift here. No, definitely not. They're not thinking no. that. And so they got there somehow. And right. then the job of the training, including the healthcare practitioners, all of our jobs is to get them there. Yeah. And also the job of the dancer. That's the other thing. Like when I've taught sometimes in That's certain true. ballet programs, like it's a little hard to like teach these things about turnout and this is what's realistic about your body and here are your rotators and da da da. And we do this class and then I turn around after the class is over, I look in the studio and, you know, the teacher's standing there with this 180 degree turnout and all the students are trying to emulate it and you know I think oh that that's really complicated like here I am giving this anatomical information that's sort of antithetical to the essence of ballet right now mm-hmm. you know and and when I've struggled with that I just say you know what that's the job of this the dancer needs to figure that out for themselves <laughs> you know like at a certain point the perseverant curious artist will find a way to sort of take information from all of these sources and synthesize it in a way that works for them and go to the right people when they have issues and seek help when they need it. You know, like those are, those turn out to be as invaluable of skills as having great turnout or flexible hamstrings or whatever. Right. So that goes to how do we get there? Yes. So how we get there, this is not the answer. Right. It's just a thought. Yeah. But how we get there potentially, or one road, is that material has to be accessible to them. Right. Yeah. It has to be something that they can own. So not everybody's going to want to know the attachment of their rectus femoris, say, right. for example. Right. But, you know, people may want to know what their hip feels like in the socket as they do this, that, or the other thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the accessibility of it, or how yeah. to hear music, or how not to worry on stage, or how to, you know, be okay if you want to, you know, have you know, this kind of food or that kind of food or yeah. what your body needs. It all has to be accessible to them and, and it has to be, um, I don't know, this is not my wheelhouse now because this is getting into the psychological component of it, but I think there needs to be, a, you know, the, po- the whole positive psychology thing yeah. is, um, I think it's a really important part of dance because if people 
when people, this is my real house, so I'll speak to that. When people know, for let's take, let's just take your foot. When people know how to use their foot, so say they suddenly can balance and they couldn't balance before. Um, and let's just say they have a short uh, first metatarsal head or just whatever, and you, and, you, and you change that. People have come to me and said, you know, cried. Yeah. People have yeah. hugged me and cried because what they thought was, I'm a bad dancer. Yeah. Right. They, and they thought this from, you know, whatever age, because yeah. they couldn't do triple pirouettes and someone could, or they couldn't do X, Y, or Z, whatever yeah. it is. I keep using ballet because those things are more codified and you can right. understand, you know, it's easier to discuss. But, um, but at the end of the day, it had nothing whatsoever to do with their dancing. It simply yeah. had to do with bony measurements. Yeah. So that kind of thing to me... And again, this it would be good to have some research on this, but to me, that kind of thing is should all be researched because yeah. I think if you can let people have the freedom yeah. and make the material accessible, then both, which is, you know, like the the scientific teacher us, us people doing that need to make it, need to really grasp it and, and study what the voids, whatever they might be, and make that accessible to the dancers. Then the dancers can take what they need and hopefully the teachers can help them find what they need or their healthcare provider or whoever yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, and then they can use that. And then, so this is, you know, this is an ideal, but it's my, you know, little utopian view of the world yeah. then dancers can be liberated yes. to really dance yeah so I think it's a jumping board all this stuff yeah. is a jumping board into that world of art yeah I think you know we've done over now we've done over 50 of these podcasts mm-hmm. and with all different types of practitioners and something that seems to come up over and over again is we don't want dancers to get an idea that this is right or that is wrong we want them to understand that they're making a choice and there are implications and there are effects and they should know what those are so that they can make an informed decision. Mm-hmm. You know, if you feel you need to force your turnout because you're planning to audition for New York City Ballet and you believe that that's something they want to see or, you know, whatever, you can make that choice. No, it's not amoral to make that choice. Just be aware that it might strain your ankle in a certain way or affect your hip in a certain way. and you know, make a good relationship with a PT so that you can work through that. <laughs> but I think it slows down their training because I think, I mean, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. There isn't a right. I mean, there's been research on that and there is some, there is some you know, objectivity, but there's not as much as in sport. Right. Like you're not right. winning a race. Right. Right. So, you know, and it's, you know, that if you're winning Olympic gold medals, you're clearly the fastest, you know. Right. But, um, but all of that said, I just think... I think somehow we need to get there from here. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I think if people are not training correctly, they develop bad habits. And the bad habits, whether or not they injure you, they impair your progress. Yeah. You know, I ask people all the time. I ask these questions all the time. I've been doing this for years. And people, I always get the same answer. So it's like if I'm trying to, like, engage people, it's, it's a, it's, it works every time. How many people have been trying to get their leg up for X number of years or forever? And they all, you know, raise their hands. Me too. He does, right? right? And then how many people have gotten it higher? And almost <laughs> never does anyone raise their hand. Right. And, you know, and then I say, how long have you been doing this for? 
right. for however long, years mostly. Yeah. And then, you know, if you are doing the same thing over and over and over and it's not making a difference, <laughs> yes. you need to change what you are doing. Right. You need to reassess. You need to yeah. assess whatever it is. So this is all from the World Health Organization. Range of motion, strength, coordination. You need to assess that. Right. You're only going to go as far as your range of motion lets you go. Some of that's muscle, but some of that's joint structure. Right. So, again, I, that's why I like the whole measuring thing. Muscle, of course, you can change. Strength, do you have the strength to actually do the act? Coordination, can you do it? In dance, we start yes. a lot of times with coordination. Yeah. We skip the first two, right? Yeah. So, if people have been doing this for years and they're not getting anywhere, which is, you know, or they're not getting where they want to get to, they need to test, retest, test, retest, test, retest. Right. So that's where a little more science may come in, but yeah. maybe a little more psychology may come in. That's where yeah. that's where it's a little more gray, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. yeah. Is there anything we've covered a lot? Is there anything um, anything that we've left out that feels critical to you? Um, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think a few things probably should. It would be good to do. And one is, I, I think that how dance science is taught or what we teach um, is really important and how we teach it and, and who we're teaching it to. Because not everybody takes a college kinesiology class. Right. And lots of people want dance to... Dance really well. <laughs> yeah, lots of people dance really well or, or dance at all. Right. Or dance recreationally but want to know how to do things differently or better or whatever, how to enhance what they're doing or improve their strength or improve their business. Feel better going to Yeah. So, so th I think that outreach and, and maybe even some standards, I think that would be a good thing to... Yeah, what kind of standards? Just, um, I, I don't know. That's yeah. I think a discussion needs to happen on, on what, you know, what kind of anatomy, what, you know, what's accurate. Because mm -hmm. I think what, what happens is, like Ellie and I were talking before, is sometimes people hear something and then they start to do that thing all the time. Right. And then the thing may not, may be loosely based in fact, right. if it even is. Right. And then that becomes the thing that they're teaching and then they're teaching their students that and then their students are teaching that. Yeah. So, and this is not unique to dance. This right. is, you know. A world, you know, in every discipline, I'm sure. Right. Critical this. thinking, but yeah. Critical thinking, yeah. Right. So I think that might be a conversation that would be good to have. I agree, yeah. Um, and I think that, I think the dancing part of it shouldn't be lost amongst all the disciplines. Yeah. The healthcare providers, yeah. all of them. It has to be at the front. It has to be because, yeah. um, oh, and or they, the, the teams need to be more um, complete yeah because you, you you can take someone you know like one of the etiologies of dance injury um, uh, kudos to Jennifer Gambeau and her research on this is um, past injury right. right right so why are they getting why are they getting injured all the time like people right. who are injured tend to be injured again so right. we don't know this but you know I probably it has to do with how they're dancing Unless right. they're specifically in some company somewhere that's making them do something that's not safe for them, right. which means that's all the way back to are, were they, you know, how are, how what were they doing when they were little? What kind of motor habits did they develop? What, yeah. um, what, you know, how are they organizing all of their arthrokinematics? How are their joints doing? What they need to be doing? Are they forcing things? Are they not using what they have? 
have they mastered their instrument? Yeah. You know, how are they dancing? Are they are they stressed? Are they hungry? Are they this? Are they that? You know, right. whatever. So all of that has to be amongst all the disciplines. Like I made a list because you you know we were talking about what we we're going to talk about, and I made a list and I. And I was right, and I wrote on the list, and I'll just read it to you, because I, I thought, oh, and then I wrote it again, and then I wrote it again, and then I wrote it again, and I thought, okay. So, <laughs> and so I wrote, so everyone needs to communicate and take guidance from each other, dancers on training te techniques, teachers on training techniques, healthcare providers on training techniques, <laughs> researchers on training techniques, so everyone can maximize their potential, because yeah. Because all of that, we all learn from each other, and we all need each other. Like, I'm not going to suddenly become an orthopedic surgeon right. or a ballet dancer with New York City Ballet. Right. I'm going to do what I do. You're yeah. going to do what you do. All of us have different bodies, and we just need to put that together. But yeah. I think we need to do it with critical thought, I, I think. And then, and then let go and let the, the art of dance be free, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Dan. Um, I think we'll wrap it up there, and we will continue um to talk more about this uh, everywhere so be on the lookout for uh <laughs> more conversations on some of those points that you brought up and um thank you so much for doing this thank you for having me it's an honor and i'm really proud of you guys for doing all oh, this it's a really wonderful service thank you on behalf of marissa and myself i ellie kushner want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of dance Ball podcast our intro soundscape was composed by the dynamic duo Brendan Berry and Dylan Ezzy, and dancer-designer Katie Dean crafted our visual image. To those of you who have made this season possible by contributing to DanceWell, we are infinitely grateful. We wouldn't be where we are without you. Your donations help pay for our SoundCloud membership, website fees and upgrades, and our recording technology. If you too would like to make a donation, to dance well, please follow the link in the description of this podcast to visit our GoFundMe page. We thank you in advance for your support. And lastly, if you like what you hear, we invite you to go to iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud and search DanceWell Podcast to subscribe. You can also view all of our episodes and learn more about this podcast by visiting our website, www.dancewellpodcast.com. And if you have any questions or want to get in touch, email us at dancewellpodcast at gmail.com. Bye.